1: episode 79 black magic white science Part D I'm Teresa I'm Gumby and like I said this is a part two so if you um, are listening in again thanks uh, this was something that uh, Gumby and I were both excited to talk about with uh, our views on science and in between uh, this episode and recording the last one Gumby um, made a meme. <laughs> One of those white-hot memes.
0: Yeah, I like to challenge people and kind of see, like, what people would debate about things. So I, <laughs> I cranked out one of my white-hot memes with a uh, picture of Teresa on it. And uh, what did that meme say?
1: Uh, it said, sometimes people ask me what my beef with science is. And I say, tell me one way that the world is in peril that was not caused directly or indirectly by science. Or one thing... That science has done to serve our people or our world, and science trying to fix a problem that was caused by science doesn't count, and the most inflammatory part of that is watch them shut the hell up
0: <laughs> which they certainly did not, but uh some of our face our uh podcast listeners um follow us on Facebook, so you got to see firsthand kind of the uh the shit storm as Teresa called it that was raised <laughs> around this, so we hope to address some of the uh The questions and things. I had already written a list of kind of being my own devil's advocate of what I thought people would say to defend science. And for the most part, um, everything I read that people said fit into one of those categories. So I think we're already kind of prepared to give our opinions to address that. Um, But one of the things I'd like to, to start off bringing up is you know in in the title of this episode, I compare science to magic, and a lot of people debated me ab- about that because I called science a religion, and I talked about that a little bit last episode. But I believe a really helpful, powerful way of seeing what we are, the human creature, and what every entity in this vast, mysterious universe is is a type of sorcerer that our words cast spells. They have far-reaching effects that go beyond what science teaches us about jiggling sound waves and things like that, that they have huge impacts on things, the way we view things. So I believe science is itself a type of magic, even though science pits itself against magic. Any way to view things, any any relationship we have in the world, I see as a type of Magic, which may, doesn't mean, you know, our culture gives it all these bad, this bad stigma like superstition or whatever. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It's just a way of relating, of affecting the world. And uh, I know there's a lot of words that are debatable in that. So our culture has chosen science as its pet magic. This is the way we want to relate to the world. Um, but is it good? Does this way of being in the universe... Serve us. I used to read a lot up on science, and a lot of the origins of science were actually started by people who were deeply religious, who were actually wanting to learn more about the workings of God through God's own works instead of the dogma they were being taught, like Johannes Kepler. Um, and it's so interesting, after all this exploration, that we have now come to a place where. The exact opposite has happened. The science pits itself against what it calls superstition, you know, things that science can't prove. Oh, um,
1: <laughs> isn't that convenient?
0: Yeah, <laughs> and we have totally not found God anywhere. And by God, you know, don't get hung up in just the uh, the deity. Um, use of that word. By God, I mean the sacred, the holy, that uh, what Daniel Quinn calls that fire of life burning in all things that that moves back and forth through all of us. You know, science doesn't seem to find that or doesn't at least discuss it. It seems like maybe some individuals in science get a little hint of that because they, they are obviously deeply moved and invested. But science as a whole, when you read a scientific textbook, it's absent. Science is not a doctrine of God. It's not a doctrine of the sacred. Um, the more we use this, this black magic of science, the only thing that science helps us do is gain power. For instance, imagine a pre-science culture. What would they need science for? Science, to me, you know, you might say, I can, I can see two paths here. Science either is made, is used to fix a problem. So let's take that one first. What problem? In a pre-science culture, what problem? People were dying. They had death. Uh, there were occasional diseases. Um, there was occasional outbreaks of violence. But for, And sometimes the food, you know, there were um, times of, of not famine, because famines are kind of self-regulating, as Daniel Quinn points out, but hunger, scarcity. You know, famine is an ongoing problem of hunger that goes on and on, and that can't happen without the interjection of something like science. So people, for the most part, accepted that. That's the universe we live in, and they weren't living in hell. They weren't in misery. All evidence— brought to us by the science of anthropology itself, suggests these people were actually more content, led simpler, more sustainable lives than we do. They didn't need antidepressants. They didn't need insane asylums. They didn't need prisons. Um, they didn't have high suicide rates. Um, they didn't have what we would call crime. So what problem has been addressed by science? And all those things I mentioned, death, disease, et cetera, et cetera, Not only would I say that science has failed to fix those problems, but it has increased almost all of them. We still have death. And because we have an overpopulated planet with people, you might say we have more death than ever before because of all the death that we have to create to empower a culture like that. Violence, my God, daily war, bombs, bombs that can blow up cities brought to us by science. What is it fixed? And as far as science being a doctrine of curiosity and exploration, has it really helped us learn more about the universe? Um, these people that lived back then in direct connection with the land had to be expert trackers. They saw subtle details that our best scientists can't see. You know, They, they could see in a footprint the mood of an animal. These were not people that lacked observation, and Teresa and I are working on a a primitive shelter right now, and we are playing hell trying to figure out ventilation. These people knew about experimentation. They knew about trying things, using their imagination, seeing what worked, and you might call that, well, they're being scientific. I'd say they're just being human. They're just using their minds. It doesn't have to be classified as science. To me, when we say science, it's a specific objective of control and exploitation. And instead of looking for God, which were the origins of science, it seems to me that what we use science for now is to become God, to control the entire universe, to be the masters of the universe. And I question whether that helps anyone. Therese, did you have something to say? You look like you were leaning in.
1: I'm leaning in. I, uh... I just wanted to bring this up briefly. There was this lecture, I guess it took place in 1998, and I was reading part of it, and it was mostly for science, but they brought up that um, up until the 19th century, science didn't really make any contributions to technology. Now, that's another word that's, you know, one of those that you might have to...
0: Yeah, what is technology? Yeah, look
1: up and define. And it goes on to say, it was imaginative trial and error that generated a lot of what we think of as, like, scientific apparati, apparatuses, whatever, machinery. And I feel like that is kind of what we are doing, like, in our own life with the wigwam and various other things. And I don't know if science would consider that science. It's kind of just, like, try to figure out what works. And that's how it's been for the majority of human existence.
0: Yeah. And... Would you say that animals perform science? Because we see some of this in the animal kingdom, troubleshooting. You know, birds, let's just pick one bird species. Uh, we just saw, what'd you see, a, a cardinal outside, a northern yeah. cardinal? Yeah. Northern cardinal, that's a successful species. Its ancestors go all the way back, you know, like back to the beginning like our ancestors. It's still here. It's still common. What it does works. It knows how to build a nest. It knows exactly where in a tree, which side of a tree, where to build its nest, and um, to allow enough of its young to carry on its genes and for the species to continue. Is the cardinal performing science? If we're going to say that animals perform science, what the hell are we talking about here? Is not science <laughs> monopolizing like everything? Yeah. You know, there's got to be like more thought to distinguish what we mean by science versus, you know, what science itself will dismissively call instinct. Um kind of being the devil's advocate here, I wanted to explore some of the arguments. If, if you know, we're trying to get more interviews, and I would love to get more interviews with people that disagree with me. So I'm going to have to imagine somebody's here that disagrees with me. And uh like I said, I actually did debate a lot of people. I fucking took on almost an entire Facebook page. It wiped me out. And what,
1: that Facebook page? Um, it
0: was an anarcho-primitivist website.
1: Of all of all things.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you hadn't seen the heading of, like, anarcho-primitivism and you just saw the debate, it could have been, like, any page. It could have been, like, the Democratic National Convention page for all I, I could see.
1: I love science.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it really opened my eyes. Like I called science a religion last episode. I didn't know the extent of this, how outraged people are when you question science. It's like I walked into their church and pissed in their holy water and said their Messiah just gave me a blowjob. I mean, they were fucking pissed. And the more I talked to people, the more it became clear that people, even that really defend science, they're not even sure what they're talking about. Mm. These ambiguous words are ambiguous for everybody. What is Science. What is technology? Um, you know, where are the dividing lines? These things aren't as clear as you think. You know, you can Google up a, de- a definition, but as we read the definition of science in our last uh, episode, part one, um, it's a pretty fucking vague thing when you tear it down. So I'm going to ask you a few questions, Teresa, and you give me your thoughts on it and I'll follow up with what I think about it. But just kind of being the devil's advocate here, you know, to explore this this topic, you um, what if I were to say to you, well, okay, here's science, something that science gives us, longer lifespans. People used to die like when they were 30 years old. We can thank science for a longer lifespan. What would you say to that? Yeah, I
1: know that uh, probably a lot of our listeners have heard this debate before um, because I think uh, as statistics are being used regularly now, we can see that the average number, the average lifespan is influenced, of course, by the outliers. So there were way more infant mortalities um, back in the day. And arguably, you know, I think someone did argue about this, like, so you're okay with babies dying? And we'll, I, I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit later. and it's not that I want all babies to die, but maybe the strongest ones that are surviving, those are the genes that need to survive.
0: Yeah. And it does seem that that is true, that there was a higher infant mortality rate in what you might call pre-science cultures. But as I said to a lot of people, look what happens in our scientifically advanced culture when we decrease that infant mortality rate. What we have uh, increased is an intentional infant mortality rate. So when more babies were dying naturally, a baby was a precious thing. Everybody wanted their baby. Now we've got orphanage full of unwanted kids. We've got um, people fighting for the right to abort their babies before they're born. Um, It's just become commonplace. Life has become cheap. So that whole balance between life and death, you know, that's something science doesn't enable us to look at.
1: And not just the value, but the quality of life. In our nature therapy episode, we talked about the suicide rate. It's the second leading cause of death in the age group of age 10 to 34. And the fourth leading cause of death in ages 35 to 54.
0: Yeah, so even if we were increasing the quantity of life, which as we're saying is debatable and more anthropological evidence is suggesting that might be wrong, Have we increased the quality of life? And how could we possibly be increasing the quality of life when more people are losing their minds, more people want to kill themselves? They don't even want to spend one more day. Think about this. Second leading cause. That many people don't want to spend one more day in the most scientifically advanced culture, as far as we know from what science tells us, that has ever existed. As far as we know, anywhere in the universe... That's a sobering fact.
1: And, you know, like you said, it's debatable as to whether or not people were actually, you know, older than age 35, for example. I was reading this BBC article, um, bbc.com, and it was talking about this 1994 study that looked at every man uh, that was entered into the Oxford Classical Dictionary who lived in either ancient Greece or Rome. So they're looking in the dictionary, finding important people, um, people important enough to note down in history in the dictionary. And of these 397 individuals, 99 of them died in a violent way, whether it was murder, suicide, or they died in battle. The remaining 298 were split into two groups. Group one, those that were born before 100 BC. They lived to a median age of 72. The second group was born after 100 BC, and they lived to an age of 66. Hmm. Um, the article said it was possibly due to the use of lead plumbing. So there's a technology that may have been a mistake. Um, and they also looked at the time frame from 1850 to 1949, the median age uh, of this group of people, not uh, living in ancient Greece or Rome, but the median age was 71 years, one year less than 100 B.C. Hmm. or pre-100 B.C.
0: And I would say, you know, we're talking about ancient Greece. I would say that the seeds of science, like the lead pipes, for instance, um, You know, again, that definition of science, I couple science with civilization. I see science not so much as at root what we do, like it's not a lead pipe. It's the way we view the world. It's an ambition. It's a exploitation. I want to learn about the world so I can control it and exploit it better. Now, you could argue, well, doesn't the tracker want to do that so they can be a better hunter? And I agree, that's a fuzzy line, but there's... There's something that gets crossed there where that, that little spark that drives you to uh, to live turns into something else. And that's kind of the way I've, I've begun to see science as a viewpoint that is just overreaching. I want to dissect things. I don't listen to things anymore. I want to impose my will. Again, I want to usurp God. Is there anything else you wanted to say to address the uh, science gave us longer lifespans, Teresa?
1: Oh, I found this interesting too, this fact um Pliny in the 1st century AD he was uh writing about people that were living to the ages of 100, 103, 115 and so forth. And he was actually describing how these people were like actors on the stage at age 100. And there was one account of like a 105-year-old who still was able to weave Like really well at Mm -hmm. age 105. I thought that was interesting. Oh, one other thing. In ancient Rome, um, to be a part of the consul, which I guess was kind of like in the government, you had to be at least 43 years old, Hmm. eight years older than what you have to be for the president of the United States position.
0: Yeah. And I've heard a lot of uh, suggestive evidence that cultures that are not scientifically advanced as ours is, um, if you want to call us advanced, Mm. um, they did live really long, but let's say, for argument's sake, again, being the devil's advocate, that the top lifespan, we're giving up a couple decades. What if it's only 65, 70? I mean, shit, what are you doing after 70 years old if your like quality of life is like, wow, you, you've seen your grandchildren born and you know they have a future. The, the rivers are full of fish. The salmon are roaming the fields every day, like there's beauty. You know you're in the hands of something greater than yourself. You're around a community that loves you, warriors that can protect you. Um you know, you're not just put in a constant state of anxiety. Wouldn't you trade a couple decades off the end of your life when you're just gonna be shitting your pants anyway? So again, that quantity versus quality, you know, it's a bad argument to my way of looking at it.
1: Yeah. And something so cruel about having people work their whole lives just to wait until the end of their life to actually live in their retirement. Mm -hmm. Like the worst years of your life where you're all decrepit and, you know, you don't have a lot of energy, you've lost the lust for life. It's like, okay, now go live.
0: (laughs) All right. Can I move on to the next uh, point in defense of science? Sure. A lot of people, if you question science, they'll say, well, what about modern medicine? Don't you go to a doctor? Um, You know, what if you get sick? There's something science does for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you were talking about how the birds um, figured out how to live. And I feel like us being here is proof that humans figured out a way to live before all of these, you know, pharmaceuticals and and therapies. Um, I was going to bring this up a little bit later, but I I just want to bring up how herbalism or traditional um, uses of medicine are still being used today, even though scientists can't or they don't know how to prove how it works. So again, science dismisses these therapies, these cures as Pseudoscience.
0: Well, I would put an asterisk by that because I know a lot of herbal remedies, for instance, willow bark with uh, salicin in it. Um, Science has isolated that chemical and turned it into a scientific medicine, and they do think they know how it works. But I'd put an asterisk by that comment I just made as well because a lot of times what they find is they'll isolate a chemical, it'll become stronger, Mm. more focused to have side effects. And then they'll have to come up with another medicine to address the side effects they cause on your body, only to discover in many cases that the plant, if you just took it right from the plant, simply, herbally, what might be called pre-scientifically, often the plant offers the very chemicals that they had to find later to counteract those side effects. So it's gentler on your body. It's actually better for you.
1: Yeah, that was brought up in a Wikipedia article. I think it was either on proto science or herbalism or phytotherapy. That science, um, again, considers it a pseudoscience. Just something that you know it's it's not really scientific if we can't explain it. That's how they classify things. Mm-hmm. And so you know, with your with your question about like modern medicine, I I have serious doubts as to why. People are touting modern medicine when we've made it this far without it. And the only reason we need so many modern medicines is because science has caused so many of the diseases that we're stricken with now, including a lot of autoimmune diseases and allergies.
0: Mm-hmm. I brought up many of these in our episode patches, but I'm going to bring them up again because these are diseases that are um, caused by civilization with a big assist from science. High blood pressure, heart disease, tooth decay, obesity, rickets, hypertension, acne, diabetes, vascular dementia, autoimmune disease, depression, osteoporosis, stroke, Alzheimer's disease, PCOD, arthritis, chronic kidney failure, atherosclerosis. Did I say that right?
1: Atherosclerosis
0: atherosclerosis, metabolic syndrome, asthma, irritable bowel syndrome, cancer, colitis, cirrhosis of the liver, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. And, you know, that is a very incomplete list. And some people, as some people did point out, um, well, some of these existed before our civilization. That's true. What I'm saying is civilization has, when we we look in indigenous cultures that have not had contact with our civilization, for the most part, everything I just read on that list is either entirely absent or much, much less than we find in our culture. And so many of those things are brought to us directly or indirectly by science. And that's to say nothing of the 80 chemicals, on average, there are 80 foreign poorly understood chemicals in your body, in your child's body. Um, our polluted water, our poisoned air, our poisoned soil, our poisoned food, our poisoned bodies, and all the scientifically engineered weapons that already affect the entire planet. You start studying, like, the effects of the atom bombs that were dropped on Japan, all the fucking poisons that were spread all over Vietnam. I mean, the list goes on and on. As science, let's keep in mind, these aren't farmers developing napalm. It's not, some, it's not even a soldier. You know, you might say, oh, it's a soldier's fault. They have the guns. In part, that's true. But it's not just a soldier that invented the atom bomb. We find scientists empowering all this. And those things don't just stay in Vietnam and Japan. They go up into the atmosphere. They go into the soil. They go into the water. They affect the entire globe. And if you don't believe me, study the scientific uh, research on this. So many of these facts that we get, you know, a lot of people, that was something they countered me with. Like, well, what are you using a pod, uh, iPad for? What are you, where are you getting this information? <laughs> and as I pointed out, there's not much left on this planet that's not been unfucked by science. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me, well, why don't you go live under a rock? For one thing, a rock is a pretty damn poor shelter. For another thing, there's not many places to go anymore. Like I said, the rivers aren't full of, of fish anymore. Thank you, the, the prairies aren't full of bison anymore. And when you look behind that, you know, you might say, well, the prairies aren't full of bison because people shot them. Who invented the fucking guns? <laughs> we find science, not just science. I'm not trying to say science is the only problem. I'm saying that whatever the problem is, which you might say is Wetico or people on a wayward path, the primary weapon they have used to dominate. To overreach, that's what I'm saying, science is not the problem, but a chief weapon used for it. Um, yeah, so this whole idea of like science, modern medicine, and everything. I put that in the category of science trying to fix itself for the most part. We still have so many diseases. And isn't it science itself telling us that the world is overpopulated? There's too damn many people. And then you got this other branch of science that is working like hell to find a cure for cancer, a cure for this, a cure for everything, getting funding. Our tax dollars are going here. And then you have this third branch that's inventing things that cause cancer and all this other crap it makes no sense. There's no philosophy. There's no sanity underneath it all. It's just people getting funding to see what they can do and never asking, what's the bigger picture? (laughs) Should I do this?
1: Yeah. I was reading just today, there was an article about, you know, there's, scientists that are trying to find ways for humans to live longer like what do you need to live for after so many years if if you want to say that science and scientists have created a way for us to live longer which again is debatable I mean how much more do you need to live how many more resources do you need to burn up for your life
0: yeah, what kind of selfish impulse is behind that, you know? I'm sure it gets marketed as a very like, "Oh, you love your life. You get to see your great great-grandchildren grow up," you know? To me, that's marketing. What's underneath that is sometimes you just take your turn and you get out of the way, especially when you know the planet is too full of people. Take your turn, enjoy your life, live it up. And when it's your turn to pass on that fire of life, here's something else I learned from science. This world is an enclosed, fairly finite. There is some exchange through this permeable atmosphere. You know, things do come out of space, like even some of the dust that falls on our tables. But the biomass is pretty finite. So when one population grows, it's at the expense of other populations. And if people suddenly died off, let's say half the population of the people died right now, that biomass would go into the decomposers, which would go into the soil, which would go into the plants, which would go into the things that eat the plants, which would go into the things that eat the animals that eat the plants, etc. Biomass is all being turned into human mass. Mm. That's something else I learned from Daniel Quinn. That's mm. science. Soylent green. So when is it time just to take your turn and get the fuck out of the way to think, I have a right to live, and I enjoyed it, and now it's the deer's turn to live. Science doesn't bring up these questions. Science isn't capable of exploring the things I think we need to ask the most. People say, oh, science, all it is is an engine for creating questions and and experimenting. But every time I see a question science brings up, it's a question of how to control or exploit or classify something and to classify it for exploitation in the future. It's never a deep question about how to live on this planet. And when the question is raised, science certainly never answers it. (laughs) Another thing that gets brought up in defense of science is information. We know more than we've ever known before. Well, I'm going to pass this off to you, Teresa, in a minute, but I just want to raise one question with that. Do people seem smarter to you or just more confused and more dependent? When you look around, are you not thinking, what a bunch of fucking nitwits? <laughs> I mean, w- supposedly we have all this advanced science that's like delivered into our homes now with the Wi Fi. We should be all brilliant. Mm-hmm. We're surrounded with information. Yeah. Is that what we're seeing when we look around?
1: Well, was it you? You were telling me about how, um, or maybe I was reading about it, I can't remember, how people used to have to remember everything. If they you know, if they got it from their grandparent, which, you know, according to science, would only be like 35 years old. Um, from the previous generations, there was an oral tradition of passing down the information before writing. And when writing came about, it was like, woo! now we don't have to use that brain capacity to remember and recite This information. We could just write it down. And of course there's problems with that because of, you know, misinterpretation and, and just misunderstanding by the person that was writing it and the misinterpretation of the person reading it in the future. Um, reminds me of Idiocracy, the movie that's become a documentary. Mm -hmm. And, um, I guess what I'm getting at is it seems like we've lost that ability to remember things. If, if I'm asked a question, personally, I know if I am on the internet or if I have Wi-Fi, I'm going to go on a Google or something like Google. Cause even if I knew that, I can't remember how many times do you ask me like, what was that, you know, fact that you just told me about like 15 minutes ago? I don't know. Let me look it up again. And I get inundated with stories about science. I'm not sure if, if Google just you know, wants to play a joke on me. (laughs) But it seems like every day there is an article or two regarding some scientific discovery that just, it just made the science stories the day before, like, completely wrong. And I just feel like, what is the point of all this information that, you know, it's not being passed down from generation to generation. It's like this scientist over here discovered it. We're passing that information along to you. And now another scientist discovered something completely opposite. And we're passing that information off to you and you can sort it out and decide in your mind before the next story comes out. It's just very confusing. And I I feel like it's a waste of my time.
0: And this happens all the time. And every time science comes out with a new finding, um, the followers of the cult of science, the true believers will always say, well, listen to the scientist. You've got to trust the scientist. And they act like whatever the new finding is, is empirical truth. And if you don't buy it, you're a fucking idiot. And yet science, I mean, almost from week to week changes its story. And those same people, if you bring that up, will jump to that in defense of science. Like, oh, it's because they're learning. Science is Mm open-minded. Science asks more reaching questions.
1: Or maybe science just doesn't know what the hell they're talking about.
0: Or maybe science is driving you fucking batshit crazy and you can't even see the paradox in Mm -hmm. that. To defend the truth of science as if it is the truth, only to acknowledge a minute later that, yeah, sure, they change their truth every week. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I think about, we did a podcast on, uh, oh God, you said a couple of things I wanted to address. One thing we brought up in leaf stories and singing stones, um, literacy, you know, at one time the writing literacy was considered the new science. It would come into a, uh, a kingdom, I don't know, a a place where it hadn't been before and be introduced. And it was considered a a form of magic. You know, people thought of the world in more magical terms back then, which science teaches us is superstitious. You know, it's childish, it's juvenile. I see a lot of uh, strengths. I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater when we we dismissed all that. But some of the concerns about the written word, Teresa brought up memory, that our memories would get shorter. Um, Also, some concerns were well, we have an oral tradition. To memorize these things or to internalize them, I know where I come from, I have to remember um the roots of my people i carry my ancestors with me this is like a magical way to exist in this universe if we want to share information we have to gather around a fire i have to talk to somebody directly i have to make eye contact and if that person is wise they might deliver a certain kind of truth that's tailored for me not for another person they might tailor it differently uh the buddha taught in that way there was Uh, upaya or something, it means teaching by skillful means. Every time the Buddha talked to somebody, he would give a different sutra, a different teaching, sometimes almost contradictory, because he recognized this is what you need to hear right now. Um, And also it was said in a, God, this was an ancient Egyptian story, I think that Plato recorded, that when one of the gods brought the gift of literacy and this this king was kind of debating on whether to accept it or not, there was a concern that instead of having real knowledge, knowledge that you possess, that is your knowledge, people would just parrot knowledge, mm. that it wouldn't be their knowledge. They would just borrow and steal other people's knowledge to act as if it was their their knowledge without having any understanding of this knowledge.
1: Without any connection, because it's not just that the oral tradition was passed on and parroted. It was a part of their their fabric of their being.
0: Yeah. And Jesus Christ, has that not come to pass, like to the extreme with the internet? I mean, damn, uh, discuss anything with anybody on Facebook or any kind of social media and see these links posted. <laughs> I mean, it's so easy to see that this knowledge that we think we have does not run very deep. We're just pretending to have it because, you know, <laughs> as something as that seems as basic as literacy Even that at one time was a questionable science, and I think it was rightly questioned. It came with a cost like all science does. It comes with a power. It helped them control things better, you know. It helped them record things that they don't need to remember and build on that and build on that to start the engines that that evolved into science going. But did it help us? Did it make us happier? Did it help us live lightly on this planet so all life could work together and live? Um, I think of that prole feed and, uh, you know, we did, uh, the last pig in Europe talking about 1984, George Orwell, that was an episode we did and prole feed, you know, one of the ways the government would try to control the population, the proles, the proletariat in the, that book was information, information. It sounded like the Wi-Fi. there were screens in their house. There were like little stupid songs that got fed to them, uh, stupid TV shows, just information, information. I feel like that's another thing that we've seen come to pass through science is just too much information. Um, They've even done studies scientifically. Again, it's funny how much science points out its own shortcomings. and Nobody listens, including the scientists. But I read this book, Blink, by Malcolm Gladwell, and he talked about these studies that they would show that if somebody's given just enough information, they can make a fairly good, quick judgment. If they're given more information than that, it impairs people's judgment. Hmm. What do you think that does to us at large? Look how much fucking information we are inundated with. You can't go into a McDonald's without a TV being on, pumping information into your head. Science itself knows what that does to us. So that leads me to the question, if science is bringing us this technology to get all this information and science itself knows that our judgment gets impaired when we get inundated with information— Is it accidental?
1: Hmm.
0: Likewise, people say science has increased our knowledge of the world. I'd say it's only given us a specific view. Somebody accused me of being a science denier. I am not a science denier. I'm not saying science is wrong. I'm saying the things that science is learning is true. That's why I'm citing all these things to plead my case that are actually uh, brought to me through scientific studies. What I'm saying is science is a very incomplete, limited truth that pretends to be the only truth. Science teaches us numbers, measurements, calculations. It describes a very cold, dead world of resources, of things to be exploited. Um, And every time we look closer at things, we find a wall where we can't cross. We find a wall that shows us our own, our own ignorance, as we pr- talked a little bit about in our last episode. You know, our ignorance is at the end of every line of questioning of why. Why is this this way? What, what happens if we do this? If we keep following that, keep looking closer, we come across the Big Bang, an anomaly. You know, science breaks down. In other words, we don't fucking know. Let's look closer at the small world then. Instead of back in time, we come across the quantum realm. Nobody knows what the fuck's happening in there. Nothing makes sense. Um, did you have something to say there or are you just waving off a fart?
1: <laughs> Our dog has gas.
0: Yeah, blame it on the dog.
1: Scientific. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about when you were talking uh, about how science is taking over. And you've mentioned that science is kind of like the religion of our culture. It mirrors our culture, how our culture eats up every other culture. And science appears to be eating up every other way of living on this planet. It's claimed, it's absorbed, and then it's distorted by science. And distorted in ways that you've also mentioned, whether it's like dissection or... um you know, isolating a, a, an element in this plant or that. And yeah, I just feel like what an appropriate religion for our culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, this, this black magic of science poisons us with arrogance. Um, if you pin somebody down that considers themselves very scientific, they will admit like, oh, there's still plenty to learn. Science doesn't know everything. But if you don't pin them down to say that and you just listen to them talk, you'd swear to God they'd had it all figured out, that there's a scientific hypothesis for every fucking natural phenomenon, and if it doesn't fit in science, it can't exist. That poisons us. How are we ever going to exist with our own ignorance if we can't even allow ourselves to see it? I don't know if there is a way to actually have true knowledge of the universe or if we just resign ourselves that the universe is infinitely mysterious or if there's something in between there that's neither or both. But I do know that this arrogance of pretending like we understand all these things. I mean, look at the way we're living on the planet. We obviously don't understand the most fundamental things about life. Otherwise, we wouldn't be living this way. Mm. That's such a simple truth that just seems to bypass science.
1: Don't scientists say the way we're living, like we need seven or eight Earths?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's studies like that. And, you know, the population growing, of course, increases that. And, of course, science itself says this way we're living is the cause of our destruction of the planet. And yet the scientists themselves go home and fucking flip light switches. Mm. It doesn't help us. It doesn't serve us. It's a madness. It's a sickness. Um, And God, speaking of that, here's something I just heard from science pretty recently that you shared with me, Teresa. Did you know the world apparently, according to science, is spinning faster? Mm -hmm. That the days were shorter than they have ever been in recorded history last year? Is Mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, I think so. Now, God, consider how fucking weird last year and the beginning of this. Year, you know, somebody pointed out, like, oh, 2020 was weird, and then six days into January, we we got the characters from Mad Max storming the Capitol. Like, what the fuck? And in the midst of all this weirdness, this pandemic, all this this really weirdness, how is it the world speeding up? Is that a coincidence? Is one affecting the other? <laughs> You know, I feel like science just kind of skirts this bigger picture, you know, like, oh, look at this fact. Oh, neato. But the deeper truths never get digested. Science finds a door of something really cool. And this is one of the reasons when I used to study science, I got disillusioned to it. Because when I heard about the wave-particle duality of light, like, wow, you affect things just by looking at it, science stopped right there. They recorded it and like, it didn't seem to affect the way anybody lived. (laughs) When I found out that people are mostly empty space, That's profound. But it didn't seem to affect the way any of the scientists lived. Mm -hmm. Something was lacking there. Science was a really fucking clumsy tool. And yeah, I guess those were kind of the points I wanted to bring up being a devil's advocate, because pretty much every argument I heard in defense of science fit into a category basically like that. Is there anything else you want to add to that you know, a point that you can think of that, like, pretend like you're somebody who is a true follower of science. And I'm saying science is not serving us. Can you think of anything before we leave that that you'd say, well, what about this?
1: A number of people commented that science itself is neutral and it's humanity. It's it's people that are causing the problems. What would you say about that?
0: Oh, thank you for bringing that up. That is a good point. I'd say that I agree that science is not the cause of our problems, as I said. Um, people who see the world that we in the way we do and relate to it in the way we do is the cause, and science is our primary lens through which we see that world, and that lens is a weapon. I don't think science is neutral. Teresa and I were talking about this the other morning, and I believe that any culture that starts getting the sickness we have, this ambition, this discontentment, like, nothing is good enough. We need to constantly advance and reach and go further. And we we romanticize that in our culture. You know, Watch any episode of Star Trek, like, oh, look at the human spirit of discovery. Discover my ass. (laughs) Every place we get to, we don't just discover it. We claim it and colonize that motherfucker. That is a, a sickness of control. And it's not just because we're human. It's because we're humans living this way. And I would say that science is the way we view things when we act like that. Because how do we colonize places better and better? We need better weapons. We need more food. We need more food to make our population more to fill that next place we just reached. And how do people like, how do you convince people to keep participating in this madness? Well, let's give them um, more distractions more comforts that they never needed before. They didn't miss because they didn't exist. And now they're fucking addicted to them. And now, well, they're not going to rebel because that would they'd have to give up uh, recliners and massage beds. They're not going to rebel. Or as Derek Jensen says, they're not going to give up their MTV. Um, so I think science is not a neutral thing. It is intrinsically negative. I think a people that live sanely and simply and healthy they don't need science. They wouldn't develop science. They'd have no use for it. If science showed up at their door, I'm not saying if somebody had some neat little buzzy blinking trinket, they wouldn't be like, wow, as we see has happened. You know, It's neat, of course it's neat. Curiosity is a good thing in this culture, but it's not the science itself they need. Like they were lacking something, they wouldn't need science. If you need science, it's to exploit the world. And if you just wanna live simply on the world, there's no use for science. People tried to tell me you can't build a fire without science bullshit. You can see a fire scientifically as jiggling particles, which is pretty neat. I explored that in the fire people, uh, another episode. But you can also see a fire as magical. You can see a fire as an elder, an entity that keeps you company, that teaches you. Um, And I believe that former view serves us better. It embeds us in a mystical, magical universe we belong in and we take care of. The other one just seems so cold and abstract, jiggling particles. Oh, what the fuck? Let's just tear apart whatever we want to. It's all just jiggling particles. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but what universe do we want to live in? What universe gives our grandchildren a future? Um, As some examples of science for getting the sacred, the life of things, um, I'm starting to lose my voice a little bit, Teresa, but I was Mm going to talk about the vivisectionists, and I know you know about this too, so if you want to get us started...
1: Well, yeah, um, following on the heels of is science good or bad. I don't know how um, science experiments in this day and age can be done with, you know, with all of the use of these lab animals.
0: Uh, oh, I'm Sorry to interrupt. I just realized I forgot something before you move on with that. Something that struck me as I was like exploring these problems and what science brought us is that there never was an original problem. It's not like science came in to fix things. (laughs) Science came in and started fucking with things and causing problems. And ever since then, science has been justifying itself by claiming to be our best hope for fixing the problem that science itself has caused.
1: Yeah, I'll just add in there. um, I think I read that the term scientist... Uh, was coined in, I believe, the late 19th century. And before that, people who were studying, you know, different processes, you know, making observations, maybe using the scientific method, maybe not, they were called natural philosophers. (laughs) And I guess that label kind of brings to, to my mind, like, philosophy is really interesting, but is it, like, is it really necessary? Is it helpful? I mean, arguably, I don't know. Like, I just felt like natural philosopher kind of makes more sense than the word scientist, especially what science has become.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. Like, that's a whole different thing. Like, I used to, at one time, I was really into philosophy, too, and started reading all these philosophers and got disillusioned with that as well, because... Why? It was too abstract, but I started exactly. feeling like, yeah, it was like, they, it started feeling like a dog chasing its tail. Like, for instance, one of my favorite stories I came across in philosophy, um, Salvator Ambulando. I had that written on my backpack when I was hitchhiking the first time I, I took off to be a hobo. And that is Latin for, it is solved by walking. There's a story of a philosopher, two philosophers sitting, um, talking, and one philosopher talks about logically, he comes up with this argument. And I can't remember the argument, but why you can't cross a door. So if you divide a space in half, you're halfway there. It's something like this. And then let's say you move forward and go half again. If you keep dividing this certain amount of space by half and move forward and forward and forward, you can't walk through a door. So using philosophy, he logically proved that it's impossible to walk through a door. (laughs) The other philosopher got his fucking ass up and walked through the door and said, Salvatore ambulando.
1: It is solved by walking. It is
0: solved by walking.
1: (laughs) That's how I feel about a lot of the science stories that I read. Like, why? Just why?
0: Yeah. And,
1: And again, bringing it back to like the horrors Of science and science experiments. We are sentencing countless organisms to torture and death. Like, horrible existence. For what?
0: Yeah, we grafted a fucking ear. I say we. The scientists grafted a fucking ear onto a mouse.
1: It wasn't even an ear. It was just cartilage. It did nothing.
0: Yeah. I mean... God, we're, we talked about whether we wanted to go into the details of this, and decided uh, we didn't want to spend our finite amount of time and energy looking up all the horrific stories of science. Um, but Jesus Christ, you don't have to look far. Hell, you don't have to look far even in your own neighborhood. Go to the the local like university or or medical lab and look at what they're doing to mice. Look what how they live. Look what they're doing to monkeys and puppies. Um, Jesus Christ, some of the behavioral studies, like read A Language Older Than Words by Derek Jensen. Shit, some of that stuff that I, I read about them doing to the animals in that book made my blood run cold, like the vivisectionist I brought up earlier. That's where I got this.
1: And I was, go, ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. I know you're, you're probably going to say it anyway.
0: No, go ahead. I'm talking a lot.
1: I was just going to say, when a scientist has to cut the vocal cords of its subject... Of an animal, because the screams of terror and pain are are just too much for the scientist to bear um, what what does that say?
0: yeah, vivisectionists to study animals, among other horrific things they did they did they would they've cut open a dog, a live fucking dog, not even sedated, a conscious live dog to watch its circulatory system to understand how it works. And of course, these animals are shrieking in pain. And so it became a common practice of vivisectionists to cut the vocal cords so they wouldn't be distracted. And they didn't even call them shrieks of pain. Here's the scientific word for that emotionally charged phrase, shrieks of pain vocal emissions. They were uh, emitting vocal emissions <laughs> because these unintelligent animals probably couldn't, you know, it was just a. Cause and response, you know, they're not intelligent enough to have pain as we would define it. What kind of fucking madman or woman can't recognize something so simple and basic as a creature in pain, can't feel it in their bones, that it's wrong to slice open a live fucking dog? If I see a kid do that, and a kid, I can understand not knowing as much as an adult. They haven't been around as long. If I saw a kid doing something like that, I'd be like, that little fuck shit's going to grow up to be a serial killer.
1: (laughs) Or a scientist.
0: And here we got these people in white coats doing that shit all the time that we're crediting with being the most intelligent people of our culture. And we're supposed to listen to those people, right? Yes, we are. And, you know... Scientists, they spend way too much time, like they ask again and again, can we? How can we do this? You know, how to accomplish this goal? Not enough time asking, should we? That doesn't get brought up nearly enough in science. Um, you know, people say, like, oh, science has gotten more ethical. And I guess in some ways, you know, there's been regulations passed where science can't perform experiments on people, and yet there always seems to be something, you know, that kind of squeezes through the cracks. Like, science is just kind of waiting, like, oh, we can't do that. Oh, there's a war going on? Hmm. All right, let's jump in here. You know, they did it to the Jews during World War II. Here's
1: an example. Let's use a brand new nanoparticle technology that we don't really fully understand what the implications are. We'll put it in a vaccine, and after two months of trials, will unleash it on the entire population of the world.
0: And I want to put in there that we have no basis, unless you know something I don't, that that's a truth. Right?
1: Uh, I was reading online, so it might not be true. It might just be online stuff.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to... I try to, to separate us from... I don't shut out the conspir- what's called conspiracy theorists because... The stuff I know has happened is crazy enough that I'm like some of these people talking the crazy sound and shit ended up being right. But I don't want to promote that idea unless you know something I don't about it because, you know, (laughs) I don't know that there are nanoparticles being put in the vaccines or anything. What I do know is that science is studying how to do stuff like that.
1: Um, Yeah, from what I've read, they are using nanoparticles to uh, manipulate the proteins that are, um, I believe, something about the COVID-19 spike design, it does something that has something to do with with proteins. This is my intelligent speaking. But yeah, the- um, (laughs) You talk good and stuff. Yeah, the clinical trials were evidently, um, they were done and- reported on by the companies, the pharmaceutical companies that are making the vaccine. So that's kind of a red flag. And they specifically targeted people that were healthy, um, didn't have any sort of prior, you know, allergic reactions to vaccines or many other allergies. And they were the age group, uh, I believe it was something like 15, age 15 or 16 to age, I think, 64 maybe. And it completely left out the elderly population. And I think it also left out uh, people like pregnant women or people with uh, conditions like pre-existing conditions. So if you had like some sort of respiratory ailment, they didn't choose you for the clinical trial. Um, So, yeah, the scientific community is even questioning how the, the COVID vaccines that we're talking about are... Are able to be unleashed onto various populations, specifically the elderly, because they didn't test them on the elderly. They're only testing them now.
0: Yeah. And again, that prol feed, one of the things that gives me a red flag around the vaccine um, that I am aware of is how much uh, competing information there is out there. Anytime I start seeing like an avalanche of kind of wispy, vague information that's like in so many different directions. I start wondering if that's intentional. That starts seeming like a veil of uh, a curtain has been drawn to me. Um, And again, you know, and I I know a lot of people are going to hear this and think, oh, conspiracy theorists, you're a fucking nut. But man, we're in the information age. You know, supposedly science is getting this empirical knowledge and we're trusting them to uh, invent all the things that the government uses to control us, to sell us, to improve our lives, to protect us, supposedly. It just doesn't seem as transparent as I'd like it to. You know, you start l- going down the rabbit hole and following some of these things. It's like, how can this be this fucking controversial and complicated if science is what it pretends to be?
1: Yeah, it's like supposed to be empirical and and it's supposed to be like empirical and, and neutral. And, you know, there's supposed to be like this data that everyone can like reproduce the experiment and get the same results. But that's not... That isn't what's happening.
0: And everybody cries like, listen to the scientists, you know, all the the mask wearers during this pandemic, you know, against the people that don't wear masks. And I don't know all the reasons people don't wear masks. Um, I know philosophically I've been against it, even though I often put on the mask because I'm going into a place of business and it says wear a mask. I figure it's kind of like going into somebody's house. Fuck it. I'll wear the mask. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt me that much, although even that's debatable. Some people say wearing the mask is actually worse for you. So. who knows but
1: here's a question just as an aside i wonder if the whole mask controversy was like kind of agitated so that more people would be excited about using the vaccine
0: that's a good question um one thing i know is science uh the media and the government tend to work together it's kind of like the trifecta of death (laughs) and um yeah, they really play off each other. I've I've seen that many times in my own lifetime. Well, you know, when I hear people say, "Listen to the scientists," I love to debate those people because I'm like, you know, I do listen to the scientists, and the scientists say a lot of crazy shit. You know, like uh, that we are actually creating a climate catastrophe. We're changing the entire climate of the Earth with our industrial society. Scientists told me that science says that a whole bunch of scientists have signed papers saying we need to reduce our carbon emissions and then when i look at what scientists are are proposing as an alternative like uh green energy and you look at the cradle to grave cost of that science itself is telling me wow you actually need an industrial society that's uh much like ours, to produce this stuff. It's not really a solution. <laughs> the scientists themselves are not changing their actions. So I counter with to people when they're saying I'm putting their lives at jeopardy by not wearing a mask. You're putting my life at jeopardy by flipping light switches and not giving up your lifestyle.
1: And it's not just your precious life. It's the precious life of the future.
0: Are we going to pick and choose our scientific facts to listen to? Or are we going to listen to the scientists or are we going to completely disregard the scientists? Because I, I feel like what we're doing is the picking and choosing thing, and it's fucking absurd. It gets us nowhere. It gets us exactly right where we are, where uh, guys in Chewbacca bikinis are raiding the Capitol. That's where that shit leads. Um, you know, and another thing science teaches is – the study of nature, ecology, and particularly natural selection. People take great pride in arguing with uh, what do they call that when they creationists, the people that like don't believe in in evolution. What's oh. the?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's creationist. Remember that science book that you got from the library that was like a Christian
0: I do. science
1: book, not a not a what's
0: intelligent that? design. Yeah,
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got a book from the library I thought was an ecology book, and it turns out it's written by Christian scientists, and it was uh, some of the most absurd acrobatics of logic you've ever seen. And uh,
1: Kind of makes you wonder.
0: Yeah, they would often end things with, uh, kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Hmm. <laughs> it would just be ways to cast doubt on people that didn't believe in the Christian narrative. But anyway, that was that was crazy. Um. But the natural selection, you know, when we're talking about scientists who are trying to find ways to provide us with more food um, to feed the whole population, to create all these, you know, supposedly cures that are going to keep more of us alive, and yet science itself and the people who follow science will talk about natural selection. Natural selection understands that death is a valid part of life. That the reason why nature takes us out with, oh, I don't know, maybe a virus, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, is for the greater good of all life. Nature is selecting for the strongest, the best suited, the best fitted for an environment to live here on this earth. And it doesn't favor one species because one species can't do it alone. We're all interconnected. This comes from science. So, why do we find in science such an effort? to defy that. That's another thing I find in science pretty consistently is we defy nature. We try to outsmart nature. When nature tries to act on us, we don't accept it and try to defy it at almost every turn. That's something I see in science again and again. Even when scientists pretend to be friends of nature, let's work with nature. It's not, let's, um, how would I say that? Let's surrender to nature. Let's trust nature. Let's have faith in nature. Let's honor it's, nature. it's let's try to exploit nature in a way that's less harmful. But or let's just try to stay out of it as if we have nothing to do with nature and put it in a little nature zoo.
1: We were talking earlier about the horrors that are done to animals. But what about like plants? Wasn't there a study that you were telling me about how plants were found out by science, by scientists, that they actually are... Aware and they have like uh, an ability to remember people.
0: Yeah, there's a book in particular. God, I can't remember. The Secret Life of Plants, I think it's called. That's the first time I came across this information, although I've seen it repeated many times since then. But uh, it's been scientifically proven that plants can, uh, I've even heard do simple math, but I'll leave that alone because I don't really understand. uh, I don't have the facts in front of me. But they've hooked up plants to machines and they will react to people like if you they've done a study where if you walk into a room and there's four plants hooked up to machines that will measure their shit i don't know it's not brain waves but um, they're somehow measuring the energy of these plants and again i'm not a scientist but uh look up your own research on this i think if you google some of these words you'll find it pretty quick and you rip apart one plant savagely the three other plants will fucking lose their shit they will panic They will like, they'll see big spikes. They'll react. They're aware of what happened to their comrade there. Not only that, but it's been shown scientifically that if that same person who did that walks into the room two days later, the plants remember that person. They react again differently to that person than to another person who's only come in and sung songs to them and watered them. This has been scientifically shown. And again, here's that weird thing that science comes upon something that is the potential for great understanding, a great doorway, and somehow it never seems to have the ability to cross it. Science has not led us to treating plants any differently. We still... Measure the environment through all these ecological graphs and shit and decide what trees to cut and how to exploit it for our own benefit, knowing full well proven by science that plants are sentient, know us, and have memories and care about each other.
1: And that reminds me of the uh, the way like uh, Robin Kimmerer was talking about the honorable harvest and how it seems like before scientists figured this out, maybe our ancestors in their own way understood this very thing
0: yeah science seems so consistently to be so far like hundreds if not thousands of years behind what people already knew <laughs> already what you find indigenous cultures are ceremonies and traditions to appease the plants and animals who they recognize they owe a debt to they want to stay on good terms with them Um, People have like the honorable harvest, like you talked about, ways to collect plants where you talk to them, you're gentle, you realize that like you're taking something, you're treating plants already without the science to back it up just intuitively as if they're going to act just like science has now proven. They do indeed act and exist and behave. And yet in one culture, this what you might call magical pre-science thinking, it affected humans' behavior they adapted they 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 changed their behavior to live in a way on the planet that was beneficial that was sacred that was holy in another way of looking at things science it's come upon the same truth didn't do shit to change our behavior which way serves us better um God, Teresa, jump in there if I'm uh, leaving anything out, because I feel like I'm moving kind of fast. But we're getting to the end of our hour, so maybe I need to move fast. (laughs) One quote that I like from one of the most famous scientists of all time, Albert Einstein, is when he said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Indeed. I don't know exactly. I mean, I know partly what he was referring to, like getting outside the box, thinking at things completely differently. (laughs) But I'd get even further outside of the box than maybe he intended. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. What thinking did we use when we created pretty much any problem you can tell me about? Scientifically. <laughs> So, I would agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. We can't use science to save us from science. How is more science going to be our salvation? Science got us here. And by science, again, you know, I'm not talking just beakers and lab coats. I'm talking about a way of viewing the world in which we see things objectively. We see numbers instead of individuals and diversity. We see we justify dissection for its own sake and think that's how you learn about something. If I want to like get along with Teresa and really understand Teresa, I could cut her open and may, I would definitely learn things. It wouldn't be an untruth. I'd learn things about her anatomy, but what have I done to that relationship? Instead of that, instead of being treating her like an object, what if I got to know her by spending time with her, by treating her respectfully, by finding the sacred in both of us, in that connection? Which way serves all of us better?
1: Mm, I like that. And it's really interesting, too, because just like when we talk about escaping society and, you know, how do, how can we even do that? What does that look like? What would it look like in a world where science doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, man. I remember we were talking about that earlier and like one of us brought up a really good point. I was like, oh, we need to talk about that. And of course it's slipping my mind. I always got that brain fart. Um, but yeah, one thing that Teresa did point out to me is, you know, let's say we're going out and there's the beautiful starry night sky and I point up there and, you know, a world without science. I'm not being scientific. I say, those are campfires. Those are the campfires where my ancestors have gone before me. Every night I go outside, and I know my ancestors are watching me, so I'm careful about the way I act and what I say, because uh, all my ancestors are counting on me. I'm the one taking my turn on this earth now, and I'm going to join them. And if I'm a complete dickhead in this life, i to <laughs> be sitting around that campfire, and they're going to say, hey, why were you such a fucking dickhead? Why didn't you represent And not only that, but it connects me. Imagine really believing that, going outside in the night sky, and those are your grandparents. You you lost your grandfather. He's up there. Maybe he's that star right there, right there. That's his campfire. He's cooking his dinner right there. What kind of universe is that to live in? How connected are you? How do you treat? So comforting and so connecting. How do you walk on the earth when you believe things like that? Now, compare that, you know, where Teresa brought up the question, picture a world without science. You know, science tells us it's a big ball of gas up there, you know, helium, hydrogen. You know, it gets us some really interesting mind-bending facts, no doubt. Um, but does it connect us? It seems so fucking abstract. But here's an interesting thing. Again, science takes us right to the door of a deeper understanding, <laughs> but doesn't take us through Here's something that science shared that I was like, again, blown away by, and then kept reading, like, why the fuck didn't that change our entire culture? (laughs) Science teaches us that we're made of stardust. That all these, you know, other than helium and hydrogen, anything on that elemental table that's more complicated than that is actually from not only just any old star, an exploding supernova, some of the most powerful stars. That's what we're made of. That's the bones in our body, the blood in our veins. You know what another way of saying that is? Mm. Those stars are our ancestors. It's the same fucking truth. But one way of looking at it does nothing for us. It's just a neat little fact to file away. One way of looking at it that might be a more magical way changes everything. That's a world without science. It's not a stupid world where we don't know how to fucking eat plants or build a fire. Give me a break. It was never that. In a magical world, I suspect that we had abilities that we don't even can't even dream of now, can't even conceive that people could ever do. I think science has limited us and blinded us in more ways than it has opened our eyes. And often science is contrasted with the dark ages, which, as Teresa was telling me, even that is a little bit debatable. But that's still a world that is affected by science. Um, Religion, you know, stepped in where science like had already started the wheels in motion to control and exploit the people in a really dirty, nasty way. So it's not like, like, I don't think science should be contrasted with like the dark ages of religion. I see them as kind of two different flavors Hmm. of the same ambition and control. Mm -hmm. Science should be contrasted with what Daniel Quinn might call a lever culture, an indigenous culture, a pre-science culture. And once again, I believe we're all sorcerers casting spells. Every word we say affects everything. These words are really powerful and the world is intrinsically magical. And I guess I just kind of want to end my last thought here is I believe that scientists are black magicians and that science is a black, dark magic cast by dark priests in white lab coats. And one of the most evil, blinding spells that has ever been cast on us was to convince us that there's no such thing as magic. There's nothing but magic. <laughs> but said, magic. But magic. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that's all I have to say about that. I'm gonna end with butt magic.
1: <laughs> well I loved that. I, I feel like there's so much more of a connection and comfort when you when you think in a more magical way than that cold scientific way. And as we generally do at this time of the podcast, I'm gonna read a listener write in. This one's
0: You've got to read it in an accent. This is the accent. You've been to Nepal. You always do this accent. Uh-huh. You've got to do it. You've been training for this for years.
1: Well, I will try. I often fall out of the accent and turn it into something completely hilarious.
0: Yeah, her Jamaican sounds like her Irish, which sounds like her Indian, so.
1: Yeah, this is my Indian, Jamaican, Irish uh, take on this person. So, uh, this is, what, did you have something else to say?
0: No, no, not really. This is
1: Raman. From Tempe, Arizona. (laughs) Hi, Teresa and Gombe. Greetings from a fellow Martian anthropologist. Just discovered your podcast and would love to chat with you in person. I don't have questions or anything like that. Just reaching out to like-minded folks to soothe the ache of living through late-stage civilization. I work as an environmental engineer, but realized a while ago that my job is actually spearheading growth. A builder who wants to replace the woods with a subdivision would go to the city and ask for permits. The city comes to me and asks me to design water infrastructure to make this happen. I get paid. The city looks good for having complied with all applicable regulations, not to mention property taxes from the new houses. And the builder makes bank. Everyone wins, except, of course, the trees, bushes, and the little creatures.
0: I start starting to sound Transylvanian. I thought French, but go ahead.
1: Yeah. I quit for a while and and got seriously depressed. I started writing a screenplay for a movie called The Cultural Amnesiac and made a couple of movies, Zebras, a short about how society is insane but considers insane the ones who are actually sane, and Class President, a parody on democracy, in quotation marks. Long story short, I went back to work to ward off the depression. I suppose I could just have taken some pills, but I never said I was a reasonable man. Now I want to quit again. I don't know if you've read the holy, but in there is the tarot card reading character who questions her abilities when she draws a card symbolizing poverty during a reading for a rich lady. I feel like I'm the rich lady. I grew up poor in India, and the fear of poverty seems to run my life. I'd love to spend some unstructured time with you if you are up for it completely understand if you aren't. That was horrible. I'm really sorry. And it was really long.
0: It must have been performance anxiety. <laughs>
1: <sighs> so anyway, but, yeah, it's always performance anxiety. And
0: thank you, Raman. We understand you probably don't actually sound like that. We just <laughs> like to have fun with our uh, accents with this. Uh, but Raman said he was, did he say he was born in India in this yeah. part? Yeah. Because he he wrote to me a couple times. And um, God, one of the things I really liked is The Holy by Daniel Quinn. I did read that. And um, I like the way he brings up that, uh, you know, he feels like the rich lady who's getting a tarot card reading and the the, the, the card for poverty comes up. <laughs> I thought that was really eloquent and beautiful, you know, because I, um, I think that is in fact the case that some of the wealthiest people, what we call wealthy, are actually some of the most impoverished people. And uh, it's cool that you uh, tuned into that.
1: And I chose this particular uh, listener write-in because... He said he works as an environmental engineer. And, of course, that's a very scientific job. And it sounds really good. It sounds like maybe the the cities, the municipalities are trying to, you know, limit the impact of growth. But even he admits this isn't taking into account any part of life. He is not of life, as that guy said that one night. But it's just another way for science to kind of make up for what science is doing and uh yeah I just really appreciated how you know he he quit and he was he was getting depressed so he went back and that's really I mean that's really sad I even hesitated to um say his name and location because I thought he might get in trouble but maybe you know maybe that's what it's meant to be
0: I don't know (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of us are seriously depressed. You know, he used the Daniel Quinn term Martian anthropologist, which is, a, you know, a way of kind of pretending like you're from another planet and trying to see our culture with fresh eyes without trying to see it from the middle, you know, to step outside of our own indoctrination. Um, but once again, you know, he, he shared some, uh, films that he's been working on. We haven't had a chance to look at these yet. And he, uh, he kind of gave me a hard time and like writing back like you haven't you haven't read my uh or or watched my my stuff yet and then he called me a silly billy that bastard. But, <laughs> but he could and have he, called you worse. But anyway, I want to share these and uh we, we will still try to get around to watching these. We stay pretty busy with our own stuff, so you know if you're trying to get us to read something or watch something, uh don't get offended. Um you might be surprised how many people are trying to get us to read something or watch something. But zebras. This is a short about how society is insane, but considers insane the ones who are actually sane. Um, And that sounds like something that I would be interested in. And Class President, a parody on democracy. They both sound pretty uh, (laughs) provocative, you know, so check them out. Um, Anything else, Teresa? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said he'd like to spend some unstructured time. That's another thing. Sometimes people, you know, invite us out or want to spend some time with us and, you know, I kind of feel like I don't get along with much anybody, so I kind of feel hesitant to meet people because I feel like if you're benefiting from my words through the podcast, I kind of don't want to fuck it up like, <laughs> and show you what an asshole I really am. So, you know, but that's another thing I'm kind of like, oh, thanks, maybe sometime. And I tend to put people off that are actually giving us a very generous offers to come out and meet them and stay on their land. And maybe sometime we'll, we'll take somebody up on it. Yeah
1: and uh just like ramen wrote in uh we have a comment form on our on our webpage it's escapingsociety.weebly.com it's right there on the front homepage and you Home can page. homepage you can write to us uh, we also have a facebook page escaping society and we have a youtube channel with various videos um just kind of I don't know, exploring our the ways in which we're trying to, uh, I don't know, not need society as much. So, Gumby, anything else you want to say? No, yeah, I think that's about it. All right, well, thanks for listening.
0: Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? they tell we'll need you to stay, but you don't need to eat it. You can give them the finger.
1: There's no time to think.
0: So, thank you for listening to our song It's not very good and it went kind of long Don't care if you like it cause we'll be
1: gone
0: Over that next horizon
1: We ain't got no address